welcome back to know what i've been wondering i'm sarah i'm jane jane your hair looks really nice today oh thanks it's been through a lot today it's freezing here oh is um, it i'm sure it's like freezing all over the northeast it's uh, it's not like shocking that maine's chilly but yeah this morning i took a shower and then i didn't dry my hair and it's been pretty warm the past few days so i thought it was gonna be like I don't know, normal winter, 30 degrees or something. And I said that and it was like instantly like bone chilling. And I like sprinted to my car and it was not parked far. But by the time I got in my car, I touched my hair. It was frozen solid. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's really so, cold. So I just shoved a, a hat on and uh, it thawed on my way to school. But whew, yeah, it's the weather report said it was 10 degrees, but it, there was a wind chill of negative 13. So, mm-hmm. oh my god, that's crazy. That's very cold. It was very cold. It was also shockingly cold here. I mean, it says it's 34 out right now, but it feels like 27. I would believe that. It was also very windy. I I was just unprepared because I didn't have gloves. But then tomorrow, mm-hmm. it's going to be 52 degrees. March is crazy. March is weird. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm fine. I have nothing to report, I guess. I got my cavities filled yesterday and they shoved a whole needle in my mouth and it was Ooh. it was not fun. But I did get to watch the Great British Baking Show while I got my <laughs> cavity filled. But then I was like doing that thing where I'm laying there and I've got all these instruments in my mouth and I'm watching the show. They like put the screen right above your head. And then and I'm watching the show and the technician and the dentist are like talking about what's going on in the show. And the dentist was like, what are they making? And the technician was like, I don't know. And I'm sitting there, my mouth was over like, they're making pears. <laughs> they're making poached pears. I was like, it's poached pears. <laughs> and then like, they would they would take breaks for me, which was yeah. very nice of them. We took two breaks, but my face was so numbed that I still had a hard time talking, even though I like had nothing in my mouth. <laughs> they were trying to talk to me and I'd be like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just so self-conscious about the fact that I couldn't feel half of my face and mm-hmm. my tongue felt huge in my mouth and I was like I don't know what's going on that's how I felt when I got my wisdom teeth out like everyone was like oh you're gonna be so loopy when you first wake up and I I just felt like kind of sluggish but I remember being panicked and thinking and I kept telling my dad dad I don't think my tongue fits in my mouth anymore <laughs> right and he was like it does it does no, that was the worst part. I kept biting my tongue because I wouldn't realize mm. where it was. And all of a sudden I'd be like, there's this sensation. Cause it wasn't pain. I was just like, Oh, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were talking about the great British baking show. And I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. Um, I need to start watching that show just as like a, a like calming show. You it's know? very, it's very wholesome. Very, very wholesome. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Sarah and I, last time we were together, got in a, a large debate over pajama pants, mainly <laughs> because Sarah was trying to get me to, like, you know, treat myself well and, like, have I was. Nice things. <laughs> yeah, no. Not even have nice things. It's like, no, but, like, have force myself to live in ripped clothing and. Right. Exactly. When I don't have to. Exactly. So I, yeah. Or that you're unworthy of non-ripped yeah. clothing. Yes. And you know to an extent money doesn't buy happiness because i i do i don't i kind of write off that sentence a little bit just because you know there are things that you need to be happy to survive like by surviving uh, so mm-hmm. you need like a living wage but um i did buy um, a new comforter and it brings a whole new vibe to my bedroom and i feel like a new person wow sarah, sarah my aesthetic for my entire life has been purple right suddenly <gasps> it's like an orange it's pretty i like it it changes everything about it it's salmony i like it it yeah it's like a salmony burnt orange type color Ooh. not something i would usually go for but it just called out to me anyway that's such minor news but it feels like i'm a new person wow she's a new lady and she bought herself pajama pants was the point of oh the yeah yeah, yeah. Pajama story. Yes, i did they do look a lot like my old ones if i'm being honest here i'm wearing them now those look exactly like the old ones but they don't have holes in them the old ones were pink with uh, with white patterning these ones are white and pink like 
tie-dye sort of and they have pockets and they're a lot softer see wasn't that worth it yeah wasn't that worth it and at the end of the day you're gonna have those for a while and it was just a small yeah small piece of change you know yeah so i'm proud of you for making that step yeah should we get started we can dive on in sure you asked me to do a bit of an update on the free britney movement i did now as we mentioned there was a documentary there there is a documentary series on hulu which is called uh new york times presents i believe Mm, yeah they did an episode called framing britney and it was all about the free britney movement and her career and how she's been framed in the media and it really brought a lot of public attention to the situation and has started a really great uh conversation about how women are portrayed in the media and how they're treated and i think it's great so yeah we're gonna do a little bit of an update the biggest point of the situation is that britney spears is currently under a conservatorship Mm -hmm. that is controlled by her father her father is her conservator and she's been in this situation for the past 12 years um like it might be 13 soon i'm pretty sure it started in early in 2008 so Um, now that it's 2021 um but a conservatorship is not an abnormal situation it happens pretty frequently but it's very regular for it to happen to someone who is not um having dementia or some other extreme symptom of mental limitation uh that keeps you unable to manage your own financial affairs or function as a human in daily life um so the like official definition of a conservatorship is when a legal guardian or protector is appointed by a judge to manage the financial affairs and or daily life of another due to physical or mental limitations and as i just said the overwhelming majority of these are for people with dementia or similar symptoms Mm -hmm. and also the purpose of a conservatorship is meant to protect the conservatee yes many legal professionals who have been involved in britney's case say that they've never seen a situation like this where a conservatorship has been kept for a person who is able to work even remotely as hard as britney spears does right the it's such a contradiction that she has been working full-time for years while in a conservatorship those two things never happen at the same time right which i think is the biggest crux of the issue britney spears is not being treated like a person i think she's being treated like a brand and a bank account that needs a person to represent it meanwhile the human being that bears the name britney spears is not being treated as the human who can do that when in fact she can Yes, Britney Spears does have some mental health issues, but none of them are limiting her function. Um, She mainly, she doesn't have anything that's out of the ordinary for a person who lives a really busy and really pressurized life. Um, The main incidents, which many cite as evidence of her mental instability, occurred over 13 years ago. And those incidences are finally being framed in a more understanding light yeah i mentioned before in our uh, the last time i talked about her that in 2007 she was mid-divorce under constant media scrutiny was in and out of rehab facilities was being stalked by paparazzi 24 7 and she was a mother of two children who were under two years old Mm. Uh, her relationship with the paparazzi was polite at first I, th- I think there's always kind of an understanding that they're not doing it because they want to hurt you. It's like, they're doing it for money and, right. you know, people need jobs. Um, but, you know, slowly and gradually she, her patience for them wore off. Um, I, I do think it was kind of, ironic. I watched the documentary and the, they interviewed the paparazzo who had his car beat up by an like when she beat up his car with an umbrella and that was like one of the bigger tabloids about him yeah and he was acting like oh she loved us like she never 
give us any indication that she was uncomfortable with us following her all the time at all. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then it's immediate. Yeah. And then it's immediately followed up with like video of her begging them to leave her alone and right. Like, them hounding her and her being very obviously uncomfortable. And it, it's just like, how could you be so ignorant of right person's desires when your job is to pay attention to them well and, yeah that's the thing is that it's all self-interest you know if they stop yeah. following her around then they're not gonna have a story and then they don't get paid and all these yeah. things so mm-hmm. they're self-serving mm-hmm. he said about that night he was like it was a terrible night but it was a great night for us because we got a, like a, a picture we made a lot of money off of so out of context those i feel like those two big incidences which happened one right after the other i used to think it was the same night but it was not um it was the the her head shaving incident and then that the incident where she beat up his car like let's right. look at them like in an actual context she had all of those things that i just mentioned going on and she went into the hair salon um because she had been vocalizing that she had lately been feeling extremely overwhelmed with how often her handlers and people on her team were touching her hair they never stopped fussing with it never stopped like pestering her to make it look perfect and it was just one thing that was just causing her anxiety to spike and she was just feeling very uncomfortable and she came to the decision on her own at home that she wanted to shave her head which 12 year old me at the time was like that's insane a woman shaving her head a woman can shave her head if she wants. Let her shave right. her head if she wants. Right. Um, so it's she like went to the hair salon requesting an appointment to have one of them shave her hair. And every, and she explained to them the reason why she wanted to do so. Right. Every single employee in that hair salon said that they wouldn't do it because she was Britney Spears and they couldn't ruin her image. Uh-huh. And yeah. So she like i mean it's not that she said this but it's pretty much understood now that she just couldn't stand that even these people were putting her own her public image before her own well-being right and in a moment of just following her gut she just walked over picked up a trimmer and did it herself and everyone was like what a mental breakdown it was like i don't know it kind of feels like she was doing something she really needed right so that's one of the two incidents and then the umbrella incident was a night where she was in a big fight with her ex-husband remember she was mid custody battle mm-hmm. and he was refusing to let her onto the prop onto his property which i on one hand it's like well you're not really supposed to let like it was his turn with the kids and it, it's such a tough situation but anyway she was just not in a good place right. and she was with her friend in the car and they would not leave her alone mm-hmm. and you can hear the best friend like in the video off camera pleading with the paparazzi please leave her alone please please not tonight please right she's clearly not doing well but they don't and so finally she gets out of the car and starts hitting his car with an umbrella and i'm like yeah girl snapped sorry like you invaded her space on a really bad night so um (laughs) i did want to bring up two quotes from the documentary that i just thought were so so telling about uh the men in britney spears's life and how they did not like care at all about her agency and need to be a human on her own mm-hmm. uh the first case was when they're interviewing that paparazzo um the interviewer said do you think the paparazzi being around affected her at all and he said I don't really think, and I don't really believe because, you know, working on her for so many years, she never gave us a clue or information to us that I don't appreciate you guys leave me the F alone. And then the interviewer says, well, what about when she said, leave me alone? Right. And he literally was like, Oh, uh, like he threw it off and basically was like, no, whenever she said that, she just meant leave me alone for the day, but you can come back tomorrow. And I was like, no, Oh my God. That's never, no. Like you're just interpreting it for your own. Right. Yeah. And then the second one was in July of 2020, her brother, Brian Spears was interviewed on a podcast called as not seen on TV. Mm. And he was asked what he thought the, the phrase free Britney meant. Mm. And he said, I don't really understand their meaning of it. I don't know. Maybe she's being confined or something or held against her will in some capacity. He's not saying that that's what happened. Just that that's what they yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, and the interviewer said, 
have you ever seen anything that led you to be concerned your sister was being held against her will? And he says, uh, every day. And then he starts laughing. He goes, no, I'm joking. I mean, like the women in this family are very, very strong-minded and have their own opinion and they want to do what they want to do. And as much as I admire that as a guy being like one of two guys in this entire family, it kind of sucks, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What a terrible person. I, feel I know. So and her. then, yeah. And then the interviewer who thank goodness is also a man, at least there's one good one in the world. Um, well, this is the one thing I know about him. Um, he said, he basically like recounted what he just said and said, they're strong-minded. They want to do what they want to do. Kind of constitutional, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yes, that, yes. <laughs> People should be allowed to decide what they do with their lives. Exactly. Uh, for context of how hounded by the paparazzi Britney was, two-thirds of U.S. Weekly covers in 2007 featured Britney Spears, and she was at one point the cover photo for 14 weeks in a row, and a, other tabloid magazines had very similar data. Yeah. Um, and considering like how often, like it's, I feel like it's such a cliche, like, oh, you get a little famous, you get a papar- like the paparazzi follow you. But this was like, 10 times it for specifically for her yeah shots of her were sold for tens of thousands of dollars and people were literally hired to stalk and follow her 24 7 now let's rolling stone wrote an article about the discussion of women in the media more recently because of this documentary and they sort of compared it to i i don't know if i totally agree with this but they said Uh, When Demi Lovato first spoke up about her struggles with substance abuse, depression, and self-harm a few years ago, the media rallied around her, hailing the former Disney star as an example of bravery whose story would inspire millions of fans to seek help for their own issues. When Selena Gomez checked into a treatment center following an emotional breakdown in 2018, the news barely trickled past one day's news cycle. The U.S. Weekly cover that week recycled an old story about Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes fighting with Tom Cruise about Scientology. Mm. Uh, they essentially, like the point I agree with that, they're, that they eventually get to is that but the media bullied Britney Spears about her mental health issues for right. years, right. which is true. Yeah. But I, I don't think Demi Lovato got off as scot-free and like was heralded as much as they're claiming. Right. Um, I think I think she was scrutinized a little bit more than that. Um, but o- overall, it's true. Comparatively, yeah. like women are treated badly and Britney Spears is like the prime example of how badly. Absolutely. The documentary also points out that at the time that her father was assigned to become the conservator, he was not an active participant in her life. Usually the conservator is somebody who is close to the conservative like knows their schedule and what they need and you know what the person's goals are for their money is somebody who could be trusted to do thing do everything they need on their behalf and her father at the time like they didn't really have a relationship they were essentially estranged um her parents were her father and her mother are divorced and she was with her mother most of the time if not all and she just really didn't see her dad that often so people were really confused why he was chosen as the conservator and it's really become clear that it's just because he wanted to do it because he wanted to have control of her money and he's using he's doing it for the money in the early years of her conservatorship she was working non-stop as i said which is insane if you were given a conservatorship like you should not be on like a tour like she was immediately she was working nonstop and she was constantly surrounded by hundreds of employees who witnessed her relationship with her father. And the two of them were said to agree on very little and that he seemed like more of an ever present boss than a, you know, a father who's looking out for her. So overall, it's kind of hard to make an argument that Jamie Spears, her father is doing this for anything other than controlling her career and making himself as much money as possible. Right. Here's the biggest update situation is that on February 11th, there was a court hearing Mm. to decide whether or not Jamie could hold on to um, control of her investments. And last time I talked about how basically he had taken a step back as her conservator for, uh, for about a year and her, 
uh, a woman who works for her was assigned to be the temporary one in his leave and he was supposed to come back last summer and he ended up when he was about to come back Britney Spears requested that the person who had been made her new conservator temporarily remain so because she was closer friends with her mm-hmm. and then she thought it would be easier to get out of the conservatorship if she was like on good terms with the conservator yeah so she was protesting her father coming back but that didn't really end up working and there have been court hearings that were supposed to happen earlier on in the pandemic that got pushed back because of the pandemic and then later on there was one that got pushed back because her fans somehow got a hold of the zoom link and kept um breaking into it in the middle of the court case so it had to be delayed so but february 11th she finally had this court hearing that was specifically deciding about the controlling of her investments uh joy jamie her father's lawyers leaned hard on the argument that jamie should hold on to control because he does such a good job of it but again a conservatorship is not meant to be kept in place if the conservatee is perfectly capable of managing their own finances it's not about who's the most savvy with money right it's like it's is this necessary or not and it's right. not and it's not yeah they also argued that given how long they've been in this situation it would be a difficult adjustment for them if it were to change but Brittany is the one requesting that it change and this is supposed to be in her best interest so right that should really be, be the an indicator factor yeah. yeah it should be her maybe if you want testimonies from her friends i get and then maybe like her doctors right like those are the people who should have opinions on this but i uh. so here is the moment of truth britney spears father lost his bid to retain control mm. of her investments so that is very good news it's not over yet she still isn't free he is still her conservator and the court did not indicate any sign of changing that anytime soon. But all of that being said, it is the start of a long process of chipping away at his control over her. And Brittany's lawyers have stated that the judge seems to finally be starting to listen to Brittany mm-hmm. and her needs and her desires. So it's a step in the right direction. And overall, I do think it's good that this situation is getting a lot of attention because it is bringing back up a conversation about how female celebrities are treated by the media and their management and yeah absolutely you know how women are talked about and 100%. i think it's a it's an interesting situation to keep an eye on you know yeah it is one thing that i think is funny about coming out of this whole story is how justin timberlake like recently had to apologize mm-hmm. because everyone suddenly was like wait a minute justin timberlake did not treat her well at all no he didn't like in the documentary, they point out how he was on radio shows, like bragging about the fact that he was with Britney Spears. And it was like after they'd broken up, but he was like, like they were egging him on to be like, oh, you've slept with her, right? And he was like, okay, yeah. Like, and it was just like really toxic. And th- that brought a further discussion about Justin Timberlake because of his whole involvement in the Janet Jackson Super Bowl situation mm-hmm. and how he was just as much if not more to blame for it than she was and yet she was the one who was banned from the super bowl and he's performed there since right so it's like so unfair and so dumb all righty i am on the middle segment yes you are and i want to talk about something that was a large discussion at my school today Mm. and that was dr seuss oh that's a good Mm. one I was reading a Twitter article about this today. Well, I just think it's interesting because it was presented to me all day as like men being like, oh, did you hear Dr. Seuss is canceled now? Like rolling their eyes at cancel culture and being like, oh, I can't believe another great person like victimized by cancel culture, which I just like, okay, what? what about the people who were victims yeah. of their like vitriol like what about that exactly and i was expecting to go online and find like i don't know not the i was expecting to find more people really angry at dr seuss and people are for a good reason mm-hmm. but it's more so the case that 
some companies are just like, yeah, we're not going to sell the books that are blatantly racist anymore. Right. And they're not making that much of a stink about it. And president Biden didn't bring up Dr. Seuss in his, um, book reading the other day for read across America. Right. That's really it. Like, right. That's really cancel culture is not doing anything to hurt this man's legacy. Like if anything, like we're suddenly aware, more aware, like, right. I don't know. I don't think, but what I do think is funny about this story is just how much of a meltdown Fox news is having about it Mm. (laughs) to them. Like, (laughs) <laughs> an american hero is i don't know it's just ridiculous an american hero has fallen yeah so on fox news brian kilmeade said cancel culture is canceling dr seuss it's out of control which oh i'm God. so sick of cancel culture being framed as this negative thing when all it is is holding people accountable that never were held accountable before right and it's not as if everyone was happy before and now suddenly we're all we're mad. all upset it's just like let's pay attention it's to the like, people who are unhappy and find out why they're unhappy yes exactly i got in such an argument with somebody today because he kept saying oh cancel culture only exists because people make money off of it and i was like who is making money who's making money <laughs> off like and if anything today I was looking into alternative books for my students to read that would have sort of similar vibe to Dr. Seuss and would still have that rhyming that helps with their reading and right. Um, is like fun and illustrative in the ways that his books were. And I found a great article that was a list of books that also teach rhyming in a similar way and also have good illustrations that were written and illustrated by black creators. And it just seemed like I was like, okay, well, if anything, yes, people are making money off of this cancellation. It's like small businesses run by people of color. That I right. that seems great to me. Right. I don't understand the issue here. Yeah, exactly. So oh. I just thought it was something to bring to the table. I mean, I'm sure you're on the same side as me. Right. Like the world will survive the cancellation of Dr. Zeus. We're not I don't right. Know. Um, and I encourage people to look into uh alternative books to read if you have a cat in the hat in your bedroom i don't think there's anything super harmful for reading it but it's just like if you're looking to buy new books for your kids right just look for an alternative one and definitely don't buy the six ones that are blatantly racist but i had literally never heard of some of them so i'm not saying that it doesn't matter because they're like not well known but yeah like sort of disappearing yeah like if you're an author and you've written six books that are blatantly racist then you probably are a racist even if those books are not the most successful ones right so even though like these books are not the ones so i feel like people are like oh it doesn't matter that these the books that are racist are ones that we don't read and never hear of like well it does does, yeah (laughs) and uh ainsley Earhart on Fox News said, people are too scared. They don't want to be involved in all this. They'd rather just cancel it all. Like, the, if you're Canceable scared racism? of being canceled, then maybe tell us why you're scared and right. what you've done like, to be worried. Maybe you should be worried about it, yeah. Like, just adjust your behavior. It's a, I don't know. And pay attention to what might offend other people. Like, having some consideration for others' feelings. Like, how dare we ask that of people? Right. Anyway, I don't have Fox News. Yeah, and again, all like they kept being like Biden has canceled Dr. Seuss. All Joe Biden did was not um, read Dr. Seuss. Yeah, he <laughs> did not mention him. Like, <laughs> right? Which there are like publishing companies that are releasing statements, being like, "We are not going to publish these books anymore." Right. That's more of a statement than. Biden Joe just Biden. not bringing yeah. it up like, right dear goodness I know okay well I wanted to talk about that because I just thought oh my gosh also oh one more thing uh just that this is about the time of year like it came up today because it's March and apparently that's um I don't remember exactly when Dr. Seuss's birthday is but, but that's normally like a thing yeah yeah, one of my teachers was like, "Oh, it's March. Oh, it's, it's time today. for Reading Across America." His birthday oh, is today. Shoot. Yeah. Oh, 
that's read across yeah. america day and dr seuss's birthday are the same day oh so yeah just make it more about read across america and about reading like there you go uh, but I just remember celebrating Dr. Seuss's birthday at school by having green eggs and ham for lunch. And Call if students home. don't have to go through that, then good for them. <laughs> I hated green eggs and ham. I liked scrambled eggs. Did you the- have did you have to eat it? It was just like what was for lunch in the cafeteria. And I was like, um, okay. It tasted exactly the same, but for some reason to me it, it was ugh. Just the green color of the eggs was so repulsive. Yeah. Just for what So it's you're worth, welcome, children of the future. <laughs> just for what it's worth, since you didn't mention the book titles, the six books in question are, mm-hmm. and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, which I think is the only one of these I have read, um, McElligot's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. Those are the ones mm-hmm. in question. I'm not saying that the other books don't contain racist material but those are the ones that have been oh they very well could but they're definitely if they do it's more flagged yeah yeah because those ones are just like blatantly like you know what this is right and i don't understand the argument of well at the time he wrote it it was socially acceptable okay so there's a lot of other books that were written many years ago that are no longer socially acceptable today so we don't read them i don't get it Well, thank you for all that lovely information. Is it my turn now? Yes. Okay. So you asked me to talk about the history of marriage proposals. Oh, right. Ooh, romantic. Except it's not. Like, I'm going to be be honest with you. Is that I I couldn't find a lot of information in terms of what we thought thought of, of Western proposals. But I like you know me, I have to make an opportunity to make it political and make something a downer or whatever. So I am going to talk about marriage proposals, but I'm also going to talk about like the problematic institution of marriage. I don't think that's you being negative. I think that's you being accurate. <laughs> but uh, specifically as it pertains to arranged marriages and forced marriages, which is a prevalent okay. problem because I didn't think it was fair to be like, yes, yeah, so and there's a proposal and it's lovely and romantic when in actuality, millions, maybe mm-hmm. even billions of women are forced into marriages and like don't have that yeah. experience. That's a very Western idea. And I just want to call that out. So, but I'm going to talk about Western weddings first and then um, practices that are more typical in the East or more mm-hmm. common in the East, I should say. The proposals um, that I'm also discussing are very heteronormative and like I'm aware of that, Um, but that's because the entire Mm -hmm. tradition of proposals and marriages have been shaped around a man proposing to a woman um, and of a heterosexual marriage. So that's really why. Um, But according to legend, proposing started with the cavemen who would make ropes out of grass (laughs) and tie them around the hands and feet of their mate. This is a legend. I don't know if there's actually evidence for this, but a lot of people believe it. Um, and apparently there is like kidnapping. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't tie them up. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like a link. Oh, like, it, like they'd like, make them like, like, bracelet. like bracelets. Yeah. They're oh. like bracelets. Exactly. <laughs> I also was like kidnapping, but no, they were like, they were bracelets. <laughs> and apparently there's some evidence, but God only knows where that, um, that showed prehistoric men. Um, who thought that they could dominate a woman's spirit by doing this and that was like <laughs> marrying her. again I don't know where this evidence exists for prehistoric men thinking this I guess there are some crazy cave paintings out there but that's what they think you know they were told by their prehistoric male friends exactly um this may be where the phrase tying the knot comes from as well <gasps> In, yeah, in ancient Greece, men tossed apples to the women they wanted to, to the woman that they wanted to marry. This was in honor of Eris, who is the goddess of chaos. And Eris <laughs> threw a golden apple at the wedding of Peleus and Thetis because she was angry she wasn't invited. And she wrote on the apple that the person who caught it, it was a gift for the most beautiful person in the room. But Thetis, the bride, didn't catch it. So then it was <gasps> that like Greek men would throw an apple at a woman they saw as beautiful. Did you see the SNL sketch about Cinderella's slipper this weekend? No. It was funny. 
Oh, it was just about the prince showing up with that tiny, tiny slipper. Mm. Like, I have no idea what the woman who wore this looked like, but this is her shoe. And then it turns out it's so small because it belonged to the mouse that lives in the house, not Cinderella. <laughs> it's like the that girl mouse that we love, Susie. Susie, yeah. The engagement ring... Look. The engagement ring seems to have originated in ancient Rome. It was made of iron and it was worn on the left middle finger because the Romans believed a vein in that finger was connected to the heart. Some women also received a gold ring to wear in public if they were wealthy and fancy. For most of human history, including in the ancient world and through the Renaissance, marriage proposals were a legal and financial arrangement. Rarely were they the result of romantic interest um in Mm -hmm. both rich and poor families and most of the engagements we know about in history are the ones that are well documented between nobles and the wealthy so it's kind of hard to get a picture of what marriage looked like between non-wealthy people because Mm -hmm. their marriages just weren't documented but we assume that the wealthy sort of set the standard for what others would do paintings of noble betrothals depict them as standing or seated not kneeling i'll talk about how kneeling came about um most parents chose a spouse for their children this is true for both rich and poor families and the groom or his parents would privately negotiate with the bride's parents the terms of the marriage there was an economic exchange for the bride known as her dowry which could include money Mm -hmm. or land normally Mm -hmm. normally it would be it would be more advantageous for the man than for the woman because then he would gain his wife's land when the two sets of parents agreed on the terms of a marriage contract, an engagement announcement would be hung on the church door. Now, this was done sort of customarily, but this was actually made a law um, by the Pope, <gasps> um, Pope Innocent III in 1215. He was like, no, you have to make it publicly known. Um, and this would allow people the notice if they wanted to object to the wedding or if there was some reason the two couldn't get married. That way they had some notice. The bride and groom would likely never meet until their wedding day. Um, and boys of 17 or 18 often married girls of 12 or 13 um, because essentially oh, no. essentially, as soon as you could have children, you would be married um, no. because again, I'm not saying that that's okay, but you need to keep in mind that people lived much shorter lives. Like they, oh, like you, yeah. were, you were lucky if you made it to like 35. So 12 is a third of your life, you know? Yeah. Not saying that it's okay, but we just have a very different concept of how long a life is now and yeah. like what an adult is because we know more about psychology. And that was like really a huge factor. Yeah. In the mid seventh century, the Visigothic code read, hey. yeah, quote, read, quote, when the ceremony of betrothal has been performed and the ring shall have been given or accepted as a pledge, although nothing may have been committed to writing, the promise shall under no circumstances be broken. So essentially they named that the, the exchange of the rings was the marriage contract, not anything in writing, probably because not a lot of people could read or write. So the ring was the more important value to mm-hmm. that then now it's not the ring that's important it's the marriage certificate but most people can read and write so very different in 860 ad pope nicholas the first wrote to boris the first of bulgaria that in the western roman catholic church a man gives his betrothed an engagement ring so we know that engagement rings existed as early as 860 in the west um but in eastern orthodox religions this didn't exist as of yet it developed a little bit later but the first well-documented use of a diamond ring to signify engagement was by the archduke maximilian of austria in vienna in 1477 when he publicly proposed to mary of burgundy um and he gave her a a set of diamond rings that were um set in the shape of an m in honor of her name oh and this practice became more common amongst wealthy nobles after this he sort of set the precedent for engagement rings in general which is interesting during the protestant reformation the wedding ring replaced the betrothal ring as the more important of those associated with marriage so before that it was like you have the your engagement mm-hmm. ring a vow has been made and then it kind of transitioned into the ring that they both would wear um but this transition did take longer in catholic countries but it wasn't until Queen Victoria's reign when diamonds were found in South Africa that the production of diamond rings allowed for their use outside of the aristocracy. They still weren't quite as popular as they are now. 
um, and they didn't get to be that popular until really after World War II. In the U.S., the popularity of diamond rings rapidly declined after World War One, and then after the Great Depression, obviously there was like no luxuries. Um, but then in 1938, the diamond cartel De Beers, which I think is really funny, even though it's a very serious name, um, mm. began a major marketing campaign that renewed the popularity of diamond rings. And their marketing campaign began with ads about the four seeds, which are cut, carrots, color, and clarity. And then in 1947, um, they really cemented the importance of the diamond ring when they introduced the phrase, a diamond is forever, which served to persuade the public that a diamond is the most acceptable form of a fidelity pledge because they are so strong and long lasting. In just 40 years, uh, between 1947 and 1980-87, the sale of diamonds went from $23 million a year to $2.1 billion. <gasps> yeah. Primarily because of this diamond is forever marketing campaign. But law professor Margaret F. Brining also claims that diamond rings became popular as a form of financial security for women in case of divorce. Now, prior to the 1940s, women could sue oh. a man who broke off their engagement for damages if they had had sex before their marriage. Because <gasps> essentially, the women claimed that it ruined their values. Like, well, we made a pledge that we were going to be together. And so I you know, did this thing. And now another man might not want to marry me because I'm not a virgin. And so she could sue him for money. But this like, wasn't really, it was starting to, they were finding it difficult to hold it up in court after the 1940s. So some think that women were like, I want a diamond ring. So that if that man broke that promise to her and their, um, their engagement was severed or their marriage, they ended up in divorce, that they would have the financial security of selling the diamond ring, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, very interesting. thought about that. In now terms- I'm suddenly rethinking whether or not I want one. Because I don't. <laughs> no, I it'd don't. It'd be nice either. to have an expensive thing to sell. So I got a band. You can get. You can but get- again, the diamond industry sucks. So you can get a a, a um, expensive ring that doesn't have a diamond. <laughs> no. In terms Just of give me a lot of money. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In terms of men kneeling. There are several suggestions for why this be it. I mean, like kneeling at a proposal, like getting down on one knee. Uh-uh. Um, in the Middle Ages, a man from a well-considered family would kneel and devote himself to a noble woman he saw as superior. This was not like an engagement thing. It was not a romantic thing. It was just like, like my lady. It was like kind of like knighthood, except it wasn't done by lords. It was just kind of like chivalry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and essentially he would pledge himself to her service in whatever way she needed. This is also sort of a way to like gain himself status um, in mm-hmm. a way. Cause he was like, oh yes, I'm her, I'm her loyal servant, whatever. Um, and so some <laughs> people think it came from this. Kneeling also represented feudal surrender and admiration. So you would kneel to a person who was overtaking you or someone coming from a larger feudal community. Kneeling is also deeply connected to Christianity where one kneels for prayer and subjugation before God mm-hmm. and knights kneeled before their lords to receive honors, all of which they think evolved into the practice of kneeling before the person that you want to marry. In terms of proposals, kneeling only started in the 19th century in terms of it was widespread enough that like people noticed it and started doing it, but it's really unclear why. Mm that's all I really have to say about um, our Western concept of what a proposal is like. Um, But I would also like to discuss arranged marriages um, as they occurred and still occur in um, South Asia and large parts of um, Africa. Um, But I also want to be clear that almost all marriages were arranged until the 17th century. Um, It's just the practice sort of um, subsided significantly in Europe and North America. Um, and it still is very, very prevalent and important in other cultures. So I don't want to be like, this is what proposals are like, and just sort of blanket statement be like, these are proposals when like actually culturally a proposal means something very, very different um, depending on what nation you're in. So in China, arranged marriages, otherwise known as blind marriages, were normal through the mid 20th century, as was the case in Russia. 
Most arranged marriages in Russia were also endogamous, meaning marriages occurred within a social group, class, or ethnic group, and you wouldn't, you would never marry outside of those things. This is different than other countries where you would particularly marry, try to marry outside of your social group, class, or ethnic group as a means of moving up the social pyramid. Mm Mm-hmm or as a means of gaining more land or getting more, whatever, like trying to gain more. They were like, no, 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 we're going to keep everything as tightly together as we can. Placement marriages are arranged marriages within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they are very common. Almost, yeah, those Mormons. Yeah. Almost, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, almost <laughs> all about Hindus and Orthodox Jews still practice arranged marriage today. I don't I don't want to be like, you're not a real devout Hindu if you don't practice arranged marriage. That's not what I mean whatsoever. But many, many, many of the most, um, I would say, conservative or orthodox Hinduism isn't a thing. But those who, um, you know, practice very, like, conservative um, practice of Hinduism certainly do. Arranged marriage is a huge part of that. Mm Mm-hmm. In India, marriages are arranged by a complex system of rules. Um, Factors that determine a match will include wealth, age, reputation, diet, astrology, religion, caste, appearance, profession, family plans, and education. A lot goes into it. Um, So this means that the entire family is usually involved in the arrangement process and will meet um, the potential suitors and sort of um, take on the um, role of the you know, they're, they're just as much being matched as the bride and the groom, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. many will also engage matchmakers. In modern India now, which really, they consider modern India like post-colonization India, post-colonial India, um, where a lot of progressive things happened in India following that. Um, parents now arranged for marriage-ready sons and daughters to meet with multiple potential spouses, um, and there is an accepted right of refusal that has become very common. So arranged marriages still happen, but there is um, a lot, there have been a lot of gains in terms of the rights of um, the bride and groom to say no to an arrangement, Mm -hmm. um, which they didn't really have before um, their colonization by England. Not saying that this was England. I'm saying this like <laughs> came out of that bl- large political ti- tidal wave that happened as a result of their independence. Child marriages um, are in steady decline and have been declared illegal, but I still would like to talk about them. Because of the new laws enforcing the age of marriage at 18 for women and 21 for men, sociologists, sociologists are now working to distinguish arranged marriages from forced marriages um because they are they are different and um i don't want to blanket statement judge a culture for having arranged marriages um when arranged marriage is something that is inherently important to their religion in particular um because i don't i'm not here to judge somebody's religion and what their religion um Mm -hmm. i think the important thing is that um nobody's rights are being violated and in the case of for example the more common arranged marriages in india legally no rights are being violated because there is still consent happening there and if that's what they culturally value and that's what those women and men are okay with that is their choice um Mm -hmm. which is why there's a big movement to distinguish that from forced marriages which are illegal um abusive and Mm -hmm. you know a litany of other things um, yeah that are not cultural like that's that's about men dominating women essentially Mm -hmm. so forced marriages occur when one or more parties is married against their will more commonly than not it is women being married against their will yeah um this still occurs in some south asian and african cultures um and this next part is probably going to be upsetting. So content warning for child abuse, sexual violence, violence against women. But it is worth discussing. In Madagascar, girls who refuse a forced marriage are told that they will be cursed. This is one way that they are um, kept in this, in this system um, of forced marriages. Yeah. 
Malawi has widespread forced marriage. Half of the girls there are married before they are age 18. In Mauritania, some are forced to marry their cousins, which is a practice known as uh, maslaha, which is actually common in other cultures as well, because that maintains um, wealth and property within one family. Um, but they also may be forced to marry a rich person for capital gain or forced into a polygamous marriage for social influence. Niger has the highest prevalence of child marriage in the world. Due to a current food crisis, girls are being sold into marriage um, in exchange for money to buy food. BBC mm -hmm. News did a very interesting interview with a woman named Balkisa Shaibu about her own forced marriage at age 12. Um, she ended up testifying her marriage in court, but was really isolated for this and lived in women's shelters for some time um, until her parents accepted her back into her home and apologized for forcing her into a uh, child marriage. Um, so it's, it's an interesting interview if you want to hear more about that. Um, and she's yeah. gained some notoriety um, for her work to protect women in that situation in august of 2020 somalian politicians proposed a bill that would allow child marriage and forced marriage which is currently fought, being fought by the un um and they were trying to say that child marriage and forced marriage is a different thing because um in their mind forced marriage is like forcing someone to marry their cousin forcing them to or that that children and also that children can get married if it's consensual which says a lot about what, how they what they consider the age of consent to be and it's a whole thing yeah um so that's something that the un is currently um fighting to stop them from doing in south africa mainly the rural parts um the practice of ukuthwala is abducting young women and forcing them into marriage under with the consent of um their parents and although the practice is not publicly popular like anybody you talk to there would be like oh no it's it's a it like it, we look down upon it very negatively it's not part of our culture in 2009 mm. 20 girls dropped out of school every month um in the eastern cape of south africa because of ukuthwala so it's a bigger problem that, than th they want to acknowledge mm -hmm. in pakistan and afghanistan there is a practice known as compensation marriage which is a forced marriage to resolve tribal disputes Forced marriage is very common in Afghanistan. Human Rights Watch reported about 95% of girls and 50% of adult women in prison in Afghanistan were in jail for running away from home to either avoid a forced marriage or to um, leave their husbands who are their husbands as a result of a forced marriage. Women cannot mm. legally obtain a divorce without the consent of the husband in Afghanistan, which is rarely given. Um, and there is a fair amount of forced marriages um, in Britain by the British Pakistani community um, who are focused on obtaining British citizenship. So it's a huge problem within those two cultural groups. Um, because the forced marriage of immigrants is a pretty widespread problem, in 2007, the UK government began passing laws to protect children forced into a child marriage, um, which included laws preventing a marriage to someone abroad, which was the most common um, so that way that person could come, could obtain a um, British passport and then come live in the UK. Um, but overall, forced marriages are more common amongst migrants because of their desire to maintain their homeland's culture within a closed society and also obtain citizenship for their families in that new country. So it's like, we all want to be in this country, but we yeah. can't we can't deviate from our culture while we are here. So make sure you marry, you have to marry somebody who is also Pakistani or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. As of 2010, um, the Central African Republic and Chad had the highest number of uh, girls married before 15 at 29% of their <sighs> um, youth population um, and 68% before 18. Um, Niger, less common for girls to be married before 15, but 76% of girls in Niger are married before they are 18 years old. The last note I will make in terms of um, violence against women and um, marriage laws that are used to trap women, <laughs> I will say, is that there still exist laws in the world in several countries that legally exonerate a rapist from their crime if they subsequently marry their victim. They are known as marry your rapist laws. 
Um, and it, you can look it up. I read the Wikipedia page about it. Um, and essentially the Wikipedia page lists every country and what year, if it has happened, they um, formally got rid of the last of those laws um, or closed legal loopholes that allowed them to happen. And it is shockingly later than you would think. So it's just something also to keep in mind that, you know, we envision marriage as this like wonderful consent, consensual thing for so many people, it isn't. Um, and for so many people, um, it is a very violent and oppressive thing. Uh, and we are lucky that we live in a country where that practice is not very common um, amongst, you know, American culture, but it is still common amongst um, immigrants that live in America, um, amongst countries that we are connected to by being a part of a world um, community mm-hmm. so it's just something to it's something to it's something to keep in mind you know so to support women in this situation you can donate to girls not brides um unchained at last or another organization working with female victims to end domestic abuse and child marriage um, it is something that i feel is very underrepresented in um you know the media and yeah something to something to consider you know in your brain yeah thank you for giving me like the useless information i asked for up front and then getting into (laughs) (laughs) it's okay you're more important discussion later on you're allowed to be curious about useless information like i'm not here to be like well jane asked me about this silly little thing and i want to talk about the. i know we have a podcast about it (laughs) (laughs) like it's good to have silly information and then to also be like isn't it fun that like we Mm -hmm. as like westerners can worry like have all this silly information and then like i don't know it's hard because i don't i don't want to come from a place of judgment like i feel like we we especially in america use yeah things about muslim culture in particular to be like well they don't know what they're doing they're oppressive they're whatever and i want to and that's why i try to be very specific like Mm. it's not it's not muslims that are the problem it's not pakistani people that are the problem yeah it's these oppressive systems that like have to be undone that doesn't that doesn't give the u.s permission to invade their country that doesn't give the, yeah that doesn't give us permission to be judgmental or mean to people from those countries what it yeah. does what it does call for is you know a deconstruction of the systems that allow them to exist which is like toxic masculinity that exists everywhere you know so that's my those are my thoughts for the day um uh, thank you if you made it through all that thank you so much um i very deeply appreciate it but this is just like kind of where the research naturally led they were like well you can know about proposals but did you also know that there are still millions of women in forced marriages and i was like i guess i should (laughs) yeah i shouldn't ignore that right i think that's an important thing for you to want me to know about um yes so there we are Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you've been hearing, you can consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we would love to put it on our show. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? So I just looked up historical events that happened in March because I was like, let's try to keep it relevant. And there is a historical event that has been on our list for a very, very long time that occurred on March 1st, was it 1932? 1932. And that is the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Okay. Yes. On this okay. 79th anniversary of the of the disappearance of the Lindbergh baby, I would love for you to talk about what happened there because I feel like that's like a thing people yes. reference all the time. It really is, or maybe by lots of people. Do I mean John Mulaney? Maybe. Yes, but like it's even. I remember reading Murder on the Orient Express, and they talk about the Lindbergh baby in it. I was like, it was Hello? a big deal. This was that. Yeah, like, I mean that would have been major, that much of a yeah that would have been major you know, news in at the time vernacular. That, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that would have been major news in the time Agatha Christie was writing Murder on the Orient Express. It was worldwide yeah. news. So let's talk about it.
Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I, oh, I'm excited. That's kind of a that's a cool story. Mm-hmm. Well, not a cool story, but it, 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 a it's crime a crime story. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting case. Okay, Sarah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting case. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's the better way of phrasing it, Sarah. Yes. Do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Jane? You have had this in the notes for a while, and it just struck me that. I don't know what this is. You, I know that there's a movie about it, but you've referenced that it's a cool story. I've been wondering, what is the story, what is the situation of 47 Ronin? I don't know what that is. Oh! Um, <laughs> this will be fun. I... <laughs> okay. Is there a delay? Yeah, there's a little bit of a delay. Okay, I was like, because I said it, and there was a very long pause, and then you were like, oh, okay, and I was like, she hates the idea. What did I do? Um, 47 Ronin is a is a samurai story, essentially, oh. in the 18th century, which I just, I'm really into samurai. <laughs> I think they're yeah. really and I like, that's something I want to know more about. Um, so this will be very exciting. Wow. I have a missing baby and the samurai. How interesting. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, that's what will happen. I also think I got that when I was watching the entire history of Japan, I guess. So um, probably where that came from. Mm-mm. All right. Absolutely. We can talk about that. Well, that's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know, what I've been wondering.